Dude, I'm trying to focus. If you have your Bible to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, can you turn the mic up here, folks? Um, Galatians chapter 5, just three verses, didn't expect this to be a time for a long sermon, that's for sure, so we're going to try to keep it to the point and uh, abbreviate it, not abbreviate it, but uh, we're going to give you a, a message, let's put it that way. Chapter 5, verse 13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His word. I have something to say to you. All right. This is the Emancipation Proclamation that Abraham Lincoln gave in 1862 in September with expectations that in January 1st of 1963 that the abolishment of slavery would come to a close and that the war would as well likely end. That became very well known, and as you look at this next picture, the 
This is Abraham Lincoln with his cabinet discussing the Emancipation Proclamation. His desire was to free the slaves, particularly the ones in the South, but slaves in general. It, it finally arrived to the point where slavery was abolished. It did take some time for that to occur. But we have a greater emancipation, a greater freedom, the Liberty Bell, I'll call it. The call that Jesus gave when he stood up in the synagogue, the first occasion you could say for him to publicly handle the word of God before an audience of people, and he read Isaiah 61.1 that reads like this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, in the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And then it goes on to say, And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's Jesus's emancipation proclamation, you could say. His desire was to free people from liberty as captives in the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now that's what we were before our conversion. We were captives and we were bound in prison. That's the liberty bell that the Lord issues to us. We sing sometimes in the hymn, Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Free from the burden of sin. Sin is really burdensome. People don't know that. They think it's fun because they're deceived. The scripture tells us about the deception or the deceitfulness of sin. But Jesus is really the true abolitionist. You were called to freedom. Called to freedom. In chapter 5, verse 1, that our brother took up last week, it says that, um, it reads like this, Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again in bondage. Christ has made us free and be not entangled again in bondage. Our brother was sharing with us his testimony and about his desire that don't let me go back, Lord. And brothers and sisters, if you see me go back, wake me up. Remind me of a day like I had that awoke me spiritually in a way that maybe I hadn't experienced before. That's been a new day for me. Well, we want to stay on a clear and straight, faithful path for the Lord. And Paul's desire for the Galatians was that as well, that they would not fall back into former vices of their past pagan days, but also primarily addressing those that might go back to the bondage of the law with all of its requirements, circumcision, uh, Sabbath-keeping, etc., etc., Paul's hopeful that they've seen grace in such a way that they have been liberated. And we have a similar line here in verse 13. For brethren, you have been called. I like that word called unto liberty. The Lord has called you effectually. You may have heard the gospel other times from people, but when the Lord's in it, He calls you and you're liberated. You're set free from the captivity that you and I were once in. In the way in which we served ourselves and were slaves to sin, the Lord has freed us from that. The liberty bell has truly rung 
we're free from the gospel bell frees us, the gospel frees us from a selfish spirit to a selfless spirit. The gospel bring, frees us from a self-centeredness to another centeredness, from a self-satisfaction to a people satisfaction, from loving yourself exclusively to loving your neighbor as yourself inclusively. We were once self-centered, we were selfish, we were self-satisfying, but when the Lord's gospel rang in our ears, it set us free from all of those vices and all of those ways that made us the center of our living. And Christ was somewhere out of the orbit, not even anywhere close to center stage like he should have been. These are Paul's words under inspiration. You've been called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is why I titled the sermon From Bondage to Slavery. Or I was wrestling with whether or not putting it from bondage to servanthood, but to emphasize what true freedom brings to those of us who were once in bondage is a slavery. Sort of ironic. But this slavery is not a slavery of toil and of pain and of grief. It's a joy to be a servant of the Lord's and to serve with the Lord. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. That's the freedom the Lord gives to us that He's willing to yoke us with Himself. If you're not yoked with Christ, you're yoked to something else that is keeping you from Christ. And Christians, we need to have the full yoke engulfed around our necks so that we can serve the Lord in that true freedom and joy. Now verse 14 says, For the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, loving yourself exclusively... That's what we were before to loving your neighbor as yourself inclusively. Once I get saved, others now become a part of my life. Maybe you were a very extra introverted person that you had very little to do with other people. Maybe you were agoraphobic. You didn't like crowds. You didn't like to socialize. You weren't a people person. And I'm not saying that that necessarily changes when conversion comes, that you automatically become a socialite, but it does bring you into a family and you recognize the camaraderie that you have with other people that you never had before. Because that's the experience the Spirit of God launches us into. We're in a kingdom community and we're in the family of God and we recognize one another in this context as neighbors. Love yourself from loving yourself exclusively to loving your neighbor as yourself inclusively. We did, and we still do, have a love for ourselves. Read that in Ephesians chapter 5. No one ever did not love themselves. Now you might say that sounds rather selfish, self-centered. It sounds like egotistical. 
That's not what the scripture means by loving yourself. It's a love of preservation. It's a love of value. We value ourselves. God expects that to be the case. Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you and you are not your own. There's value that we place upon ourselves. That's what God wants us to have. It's an appropriate thing. We don't down ourselves. We don't try to put our esteem level way down here. We value it because God gave us life and breath and all things. And it's in Him we live and move and have our being. So we are expected to have that love of self. But that love of self is not bound exclusively to ourselves. It may have been in the past before our conversion. But when conversion occurs, now there's a love for your neighbor. That's what the Holy Spirit does when conversion occurs. You want to love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. What law is he talking about? Possibly the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, you could say, are supreme. They could be, you could say, at the heart of the First Covenant. And there are definitely... Teachings, there are definitely statements in the Ten Commandments, if we went through them all, that could be summarized in this. As I put it this way, the Decalogue, which stands for the Ten Laws, Ten Rules, the Decalogue is summarized by the monologue. What's the monologue? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now that seems very basic. Well, who doesn't know that you love your neighbor as yourself? But we're talking about a, a, an agape love, a special love that comes outside of yourself. We're not born as lovers of other people. That's just not our nature. But when you get the new nature, now it thrusts you into a whole different orbit. Let's look for a moment at the what I would like to call the three pillar writers of the New Testament. Paul, Peter, and John. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. That's how Paul writes it. One word to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary. Now we know when that rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, you know, what do I have to do to keep the commandments of God? And he said, this is it in summary. The whole law is summarized in two things. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your spirit, soul, and body, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these hang all of the law and the prophets. Now you might say, well, why doesn't Paul include in the statement here about loving your neighbor, loving God? You know why? Because that's assumed. That's assumed that we have a love for God. How can we not have a love for God? When you think of all that He's done for you, for me personally, we want to come back like the cleansed lepers and say, Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. You loved us and gave your Son to die in our room instead. We want to return that love to you and praise your holy name. Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now where else does Paul reference love? The greatest chapter about love, everybody knows this. Always hear it at weddings and so on. And it says right there in chapter 13, if you don't have love, if I don't have love, Paul says, I am nothing. Love is everything. 
there's more than just love. I, I agree, obviously. But the way scriptures portrays love, in love, if we go on in 1 Corinthians 13, which I don't have time to do, it describes what love is. For instance, it says, love rejoices in the truth. So you could say all of the virtues that are mentioned there, love endureth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, uh, is not puffed up, etc. All of them fall under the category of love. When we get to the end of chapter 5 of Galatians, it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And I think one translation has a colon after it and then all of the other fruits that are mentioned afterwards. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and so on. That all flows from love. The love what? The love of God that is now put in me. So Paul says, if, you, if I don't have love, I am nothing. It's a great verse to examine yourself. Are you a lover of the Lord? Are you a lover of other people? Those two go together. I play basketball with a brother he has in the back of his shirt. Those two things. Love God, love your neighbor. It's a summation of really the Christian life. When you think of it, everything kind of spills over from that, those truths. Loving God and loving your neighbor. Now Peter, he says in 1 Peter one twenty one, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Not just with a pure heart, but a pure heart fervently. That means that boils over with desire, with affection. It's not just puppy love. It's not some kind of fluffy love. It's not a superficial love, but it's a fervent love. Peter's impressing that upon God's people. Remember, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Well, this is one of the ways Peter's feeding us, telling us brothers love one another, sisters love one another fervently. Not just factually, but fervently. And then, if I was to ask you, what writer in the Bible writes more about love than any other one? you'd have to conclude, it's very obvious, the Gospel of John. Everybody's favorite portion of the word, the Gospel of John. And let's add to John's Gospel many of the other epistles of John. And just for your information, John writings, yes, here it is, he, he, the word love is mentioned 39 times in the Gospel of John, that's more than all the other three Gospels put together. In 26, also, in the, in the first and second and third John, added to the 39. And then when you add the book of Revelation, there's 77 mentions of the word love in John's writings. He's the one that leaned on Jesus' bosom, didn't he? He's the one, he describes himself, that disciple whom Jesus loved. I couldn't say that to you. Jesus loves me and almost sounds sort of exclusive about it. Peter, John doesn't mean it that way either. He doesn't mean to say God loves me more than he loves you or I'm that disciple that Jesus loved and not the other disciple. He's just saying it as almost like a doxology. I'm one who Jesus loved. We should feel like that. We should feel fervent about the fact that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And when you know that truth, it becomes fervor in you. And you want to love your brothers and sisters. Jesus' prayer, Father, I pray 
that they would have a love for one another, the love that I, that I have for you that would be in, and that they would love one another. That's Jesus' dying request for his people to love one another. First John 4 tells us right here, Beloved, what a wonderful way to address God's people. All of us are beloved. We should think of each other as beloved. Sometimes preachers call the flock beloved. Dear beloved, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Valentine's is just, what, eight days away or something like that, right? You're going to have a lot of hot, so a lot of gifts are going to be given, the chocolates with the hot shape and all kinds of nice things, flowers and so on and so forth. But, you know, the people of God, the people who know the Lord, they're the true lovers. For a while, I didn't want to, to, to give out Valentine's cards. I didn't want to be a part of it because I thought, no. It's phony love. It's fake love. I wouldn't go that far now. I think it's a little strange to go to that legalistic end. But I think you got my point. That real love is love that comes from God. And not a love that sort of is just generated for the moment. It's not just romantic love or other kinds of love. The true love that we're talking about the Bible is the love of God that is in us. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Now, who would think that verse 15 would possibly show up after these exhortations about call to freedom, don't give opportunity for the flesh, an exhortation to love your neighbor as yourself. And again, I think in this context, the neighbor is my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. I think in other contexts, it's a broader category and the Bible tells us to love one another in the family of God, but it also says, let our love abound toward all men, all men, even your unsaved friends, family, neighbors, we're told to love them because God has that general love for mankind. We should display it as well in our lives. But the verse that follows, again, it, kind of, it sort of comes across a little shockingly, but if you bite... And devour one another. Take heed that you be not consumed with one another. Consumed by one another. So, we, what are we supposed to be chewing on? We are sheep. What does sheep feed on? Food. Grass. That's what they chew on. But what is Paul advising them not to do? Not to bite one another's wool off of them or else we will devour one another. I hope that you and me and all of us are careful about how effective, with an E, we can be in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters. We can either bring them down or we can bring them up. We can either build them up or destroy them. It's a warning. In the family of God, it's possible. My flesh is not trustworthy. Moses, the meekest man on the earth, he got angry at, at a point in time. Paul and Barnabas, men of God, they had a contention, they had a strife that caused them to divide from one another. These are warnings for us. It will happen at some point, at some time, but the good news is that we can forgive one another. We can always overcome that because we can reply with anger. We can come across with peace. We can respond not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but rather with love. 
And Paul gives us so many examples in the scriptures about if you're being evil and treated by somebody, bless them. Bless them. The, the, the natural man's reaction is you want to get back at them. And the natural reaction might be on occasion that you might want to bite and devour one another. The internal conflicts that can come in a family of God, in a local church like this, in the body in general, and in your home, for instance, as well. But I think Paul, in the context, is writing to the Galatians, the church, and telling them, but if you bite and devour one another, which come from not living in the, uh, uh, not living in the faith, not living the life of love, that faith generates, but rather walking in the flesh that will create all kinds of chaos, turmoil, and difficulties. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. What a practical portion we have before us this morning in verses 13 to 15 of Galatians chapter 5 that it's a great reminder to us how important it is to recognize that gospel that we heard that freed us from ourselves. When Jesus is talking about you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, the Jews that he's talking to there who claim to be believers, he says, we are Abraham's children. We have never been in bondage. Jesus says, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin, and the servant doesn't abide in the house forever. But if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We've heard the emancipation proclamation, we are set free. I'm glad that the old man in me doesn't live now because I wouldn't put up with you very long. That's right. Or you, me. We probably wouldn't last. We would be going at it all the time. But it's the new me, it's the new you that allows us to be able to get along and to forbear with one another in what? In love. Forbear with one another in love. You know, we still have that idea, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the biting and devour one of one another. But it's got to be submerged. What has to rise to the top is the love. The love of God... If God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me, how can I not forgive a brother or sister that sins against me? I certainly have that capacity because the love is of God and it's not of me because we have been born of God. So praise the Lord for the freedom, for that gospel that rang in our ears and in our heart that brought us into this freedom of life. Okay, let's have the music group come on up. We're going to close uh, with prayer in the last song and then we'll just take a... A quick bathroom.